As you turn to Luke chapter 24, have you ever seen one of those posters or pictures on the wall? It's like a, they call it a magic 3D picture. It's like a bunch of patterns. And uh, when you look at it, you're like, what is that? And someone will tell you, oh, don't you see that thing there? And you're like, no, I don't see it at all. And for years, I always tried to figure out and like stare at the thing and try to, they're like, don't you see that guitar that's behind the picture there? And I'm like, I can't see it. And then one day, a eye doctor told me, because of a problem with your right eye, you will never see it. I'm like, oh, thank you. Uh, I was having some issues there. But, it, you know, it's one of those things that people will stare at those things on the wall, and I've watched people, and they're staring, and then, then it's like their eyes brighten. They're like, oh, I see it. And it's one of those things that we are a people who need the Word of God to be open to our eyes, and it's only the Holy Spirit that can open our eyes to the Word of God. Yesterday I was taking, we were taking some friends to the airport that had been visiting us this week, and my friend was telling me this story of when he came to faith in Christ. And, I, and he said, have I ever told you that? And I'm like, I don't remember if, if that, uh, that story or not. And he said that he was at a bookstore with his mom. His mom was buying witchcraft books and tarot cards. And he sees a teen Bible. They're in this religious section. He goes, can I get the teen Bible? And she's like, I guess so. He goes home, no Christian influence in his life. And he just starts reading the Bible. And there's a point at which he gets to the book of Romans after a few months, and he comes to Romans chapter 3. And he's weighed down in this, he said, my eyes were open in the sense that the Lord showed me, I'm a sinner, and I'm going to die in my sins. And then he said, in that moment, there was this point at which he places his faith in Christ. He can't even describe it. And he said he walked out of the room, he had all this joy, and he began to tell everyone that they needed to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. And God opened his eyes. I said, what a remarkable story. I said, hey, can I tell that story? Because we're looking at a passage of Scripture tomorrow in which God opens the eyes of some people to Jesus Christ. When we look at Luke 24, it's Easter Sunday. So he is risen. risen Ah, You were wondering if I was going to ask you that today or not, or declare that. Easter Sunday is every single day of the week for the believer. It's afternoon. It's Easter Sunday. There's two followers of Christ that are on their way from Jerusalem to this uh, village called Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey. And as they are going there, um, they are downtrodden. They are sad and grieved. And they are blessed, blessed, blessed for Jesus to come close and give them the greatest Bible study ever given. And as they listen to Jesus and their eyes are open, we too today can have our eyes open to the truth of God's word. As you look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, the big idea is this. The Spirit of God illumines the word of God, opening the eyes of the blind and warming the hearts of his people. Look with me at Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. It's a long passage here. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. 
Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those whom were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Again, the great privilege that we have to read, read the words of God given to us. And not just to read, but we have the Holy Spirit of God to give us understanding. Father, again, we ask that you would bless <clears throat> this time and that you would open up your truth, open up our eyes, warm our hearts, and give us understanding. And may you also do a saving work in those who are lost. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this text, we'll look at three statements that are made uh, in this text. And the first being in verses 13 through 24, we had hoped that he was the one, is the statement in the sense that they give speaking of Jesus Christ. Again, two disciples on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about seven miles. If they're just walking along, maybe it took a couple hours to do that. We know from the text that they emotionally are down. They have lost hope in Jesus Christ. They are saddened by what they experienced that weekend. So maybe they're dragging their feet some. Maybe they're walking even slower than normal. They are grieved specifically over the death of Jesus Christ as he was crucified on the cross. And we even read of their disappointment of what they had expectations in their mind, and they are disappointed. In verse 14, it tells us they're speaking of the events happening. What were those events? Well, it was Passover weekend. 
The people had gathered there for Passover. Jesus was arrested. He went to trial through the night. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He was scourged. Pilate gave him over to be crucified. Jesus was carrying the crossbeam of his cross part of the way and could not complete that. So another man carried it all the rest of the way to the place of crucifixion. Jesus Christ hung on the cross during that afternoon, and while he did that, there were seven statements that we've looked at over the last month that he spoke from that time, hanging there. And there on the cross, Jesus Christ bled, and he died. This is what they saw. We saw that there was crowds of people that watched this. And so from their eyes, not knowing and understanding at this point what had happened, they saw Jesus, whom they had hoped in, die and he was placed in the tomb and they said a strange thing happened some women went to the tomb and saw angels and his body is not there they're speaking of these things of the weekend that jesus christ was put to death on the cross and as i thought about the things that they discussed you know what i've prayed for for the last three days for you and i that in the fellowship of the believers here at discovery that our conversations would be like this not out of ignorance but about of understanding, and it would be of the things of Christ. I mean, how many times do we just spend time uh, in the body of Christ? Not talking about people that are not Christians, but among the body of Christ, and we spend a few hours together, and we just talk about nonsense maybe at times. Oh, you know, how is this? How, oh, yeah, and it's like, wait, we just wasted two hours when we could talk about the things of Jesus Christ. How much more would God desire? And so I began to pray a few days ago that you and I would spend our time together in fellowship and speak of the things of Jesus Christ, which we find in the Word of God. Verse 14, again, they're talking about what has happened. Verse 15, while they are talking about this, who is it that walks up near to them? Who is it? Jesus. And look at verse 16. It's important here. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Some would say, oh, they just didn't know who he was. They didn't see him, you know, like when Mary in the morning in the tomb. No, it says their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And then later we see that their eyes were opened. And he says, what's this conversation? What are you talking about? And they stop walking with gloomy faces and just this hearts filled with sadness. And Jesus, they can't, they don't identify who he is. Uh, They don't recognize him. And as I reflected on that, I thought of the fact that when we or anyone understands the spiritual truths of God's word, it's just a gracious, glorious gift of God to us. Because you can read all day long. And without God giving you understanding, it's just words on a page in a book that's printed. And so it's a wonderful thing. Anytime that you and I have understanding, we should say, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for giving me understanding in this passage of Scripture here. Well, Cleopas answers him in verse 18, and I kind of... A little comical, at least to me. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened? And you think Jesus said, well, let me tell you what really happened. I know exactly what happened. But Jesus does not do that. Verse 19, he says, what things? 
He wants to know, what are you guys thinking? These two are walking. He says, what things are you talking about? They said, about Jesus of Nazareth. Where have you been? Everyone, is, everyone has been in town. Everyone knows about this. And it says concerning, look, verse 19, Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, look at verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. <clears throat> we thought, they believed that Jesus Christ was a man and that he was a powerful prophet. It's key, it's key that you understand what they believe and what they state. He was a man that was a powerful prophet in word and deed. His words lined up with the truth of God. His deeds lined up with his words. And so in this sense, they see a man and they do not see God Almighty. We had hoped that he was the deliverer of Israel, the redeemer, the one prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Oh, but instead, the, our religious leaders, they crucified him. But it helps us understand, again, what the disciples all were looking for. They were looking for an immediate kingdom of God to be brought in, Rome put down, and the Messiah to have his place and rule. That's their focus, that God would redeem the nation of Israel from Rome. They were looking for that kingdom to happen now, and they were not looking at this larger picture of an eternal kingdom, which Jesus Christ is the King and King and Lord of Lords. And so you hear disappointment, but you also hear doubting. They're doubting. Well, we thought he was. But he's dead. And then they have a little spark of hope. If you look at verse 22 there. In verse, uh, in verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning that day. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And then some of them went to the tomb and found it just as they said. You see the end of that in verse 24. But him they did not see. They don't understand what has taken place. They don't understand that uh, uh, Jesus, uh, that he's risen from death. And how many people, when they read of, or hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't understand right away. The followers of Christ don't understand this point, at least these two specifically, as they go to Emmaus. We had hoped that he was the one. But let us look at verses 25 through 27. The second point, Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones, I am the one. You are foolish in what you are understanding, is what he says. Verse 25, he says to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. There's a key point here. Jesus mentions it and he teaches from it. He mentions the prophets. They mention the prophets. He also mentions the law. And, and, and so it's important that you would understand what Jesus is pointing them to, to, to is if you want to know the truth, go to the word of God. Go to the law. Go to the prophets is what Jesus uses to give the greatest Bible study that anyone could ever give. But there in verse 25, Jesus rebukes them in a sense, 
Stop having your pity party. You're slow of heart to believe all that I'd already taught you. And other times we see that Jesus rebukes others when they do not believe. In John chapter 5, verse 46, he says, For if you believe Moses, we're going to look at Moses here in a minute, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. I shouldn't be surprised, but every year I seem to be surprised, and I'm grieved over a poll that comes out just about every year. There's polling of Christians across our nation. Number one, they say they're a Christian. And number two, less and less Christians in America believe that God's word is inspired and that it is without mistakes. Every year, people say, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that all of God's word is really God's word. It was put together by some people. I'm a Christian, but you know what? I believe there's all kinds of mistakes in the Bible, and I believe the reason for that is people, because not all who say they're a Christian are a Christian. I believe people struggle with the deeper things of God's Word. Actually, non-Christians struggle with the simplest things, the gospel itself. So Jesus rebukes them and says, Hey, you have a lack of understanding, and you know what? I'm going to correct your understanding. And we can thank the Lord for His Word and the Holy Spirit correcting our misunderstandings, our lack of understandings, our just incorrect views of God. Next month, we will begin a series looking at the attributes of God, about who God is. And as I've been studying, I'm amazed at the things that we just misunderstand, things we ascribe to God which are just not even found in the Word of God. And so it's so important that we would hold to the Word of God and that we would ask and seek for understanding and believe the truth of it. In verse 26, look at the text here. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It says that, hey, the Old Testament prophets have already spoken of these things and said that the Messiah, the Christ, would go through this type of suffering and that he would suffer and that he would die and the Messiah would have to go through this so that the sins of his people would be taken away and that his people would be redeemed and be brought into a right relationship with God and be reconciled by his blood. And so we see in verse 27, again, that I wish that we had recorded for us to read this Bible study. You know, I was sharing with the worship team before we started, if you read through the Old Testament and just kind of in a normal pace, it takes like 52 and a half hours to read through. Now, we don't know what part of the journey Jesus comes as they're walking seven miles. Was it at the beginning? Was it towards the end? But he gives them a Bible study summarizing the Old Testament so that they would have understanding about the truth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If we spent time to go through all the Old Testament, we would be here for years. And I thought, where did Jesus start? Where does he go first? 
most likely he goes back to Genesis. If you don't know this, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law, Moses wrote it. So that helps you understand when he says, why don't you believe what Moses wrote? Because he wrote about me in those things. And then he also points out, says, all the prophets. So when you read through every book of the Old Testament, this is one of the things that's exciting for me. I'm always praying... Lord, show me Jesus in the verse, in the text, because when you read the Old Testament in that way, you will see verse after verse after verse after verse. They all point to Jesus. And this is what he teaches them. Go to Genesis. In Genesis, a perfect world, no sin. And Adam sins, and the curse and the fall happens. And Jesus Christ is the offspring spoken about the first declaration of the gospel. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In Genesis chapter 3, you have the fall of mankind, and you have sin. And it says in verse 15, the first gospel declaration... God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel as he made that statement to Satan, the serpent. And so there is an offspring that would crush the head of the serpent pointing to Jesus Christ. There's so much in the uh, first book of the Bible in Genesis that you could just spend forever on looking at how God has declared what he will do. That we can read of the covenant that he made with Abraham to not only give him a name and to give him a land, but to get this blessing of uh, an offspring that would come from him and bless all the nations pointing to Jesus Christ. I was reading this week, Abraham had a son. God said, take your son and go sacrifice him on the mountain. I was thinking about this week. Man, take your son. And there's a point where he asks, he's like, hey, where's the sacrificial lamb? Where's 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 the lamb for the sacrifice? He binds his son, sets him on the altar, raises the knife, and the angel of the Lord says, stop. I know now that you trust me, that you believe in me, that your faith is in me. And it says in Genesis 22, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Some mountain in the place called Moriah, same place where we're told that Solomon builds the temple, close to a place that we've just been reading about where Jesus Christ died on a cross. And therefore the Lord provided the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that we could be reconciled to him. So much in Genesis. But if you look at Exodus, did Jesus remind them of the Passover that they were just celebrating and how God brought his people out of slavery from Egypt and brought them into the land that he promised because when you read Exodus chapter 16 about the, the lamb that is supposed to be spotless, it points to Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world. In Exodus, we also read of the great high priest. Did he explain to them the sacrificial system and why they had to sacrifice animals and how the Christ, Jesus, Messiah, removes that at the cross? What about Leviticus? Leviticus chapter 21 
God sent these serpents among the people and they began to bite the people and the people began to die from the poison. And God tells Moses, he says, build this bronze servant and hold it up and tell the people if they look at it. This is in Numbers 21, that they will be healed. We'll look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Jesus speaks of that serpent. He speaks of that account that we read of in Exodus, uh, in um, Numbers 21. John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I wonder how many of us have thought about that serpent story and we're like, what does that have to do with anything? And Jesus says, has everything to do with me? Just as the serpent was lifted up, the people would look at it and believe, I've been lifted up on the cross and through my death and resurrection. If you believe, you'll be saved. You go to the book of Deuteronomy. God promises to raise up a future prophet greater than Moses. Go read the book of of Hebrews. And Jesus is that greater one. After the first of the year, we're going to spend a couple weeks in the book of Ruth. As I was reading the book of Ruth, this guy who becomes the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, points to Jesus being our kinsman redeemer. Church, you need to read the Old Testament. I was like, I have so many notes that I can't even cover today about the Old Testament. I'm like, Lord, help me here that we would understand there's so much truth about Jesus Christ that we must and we need to read the Old Testament. Don't be like some Christians who say, the Old Testament's not for today. It has nothing to do with my life. I'm only going to focus on the grace of Jesus Christ and the cross because what you're doing is you're throwing out God's word based on your opinion. Read the word of God. Read all of it. Read the Old Testament and read the New Testament together. Ask the Holy Spirit to point to you and give you understanding of where we see Christ in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New. Read the book of Psalms. Wow. Chapter after chapter after chapter pointing to Jesus Christ. I think it was two weeks ago we read Psalm 22. Psalm 22, I wrote it down here somewhere, where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes the psalmist as he hangs from the cross. The psalms are filled with the truths of the Messiah, Jesus. Christmas isn't too far away. Some of you are like, wait, summer's not over. Stop. Always excited for Christmas. The declaration of the birth of Christ. What did the prophets say? Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so when people read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and they read of the virgin birth of Christ, it's like this was told of 700 or whatever years before it even happened. Micah, chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And on and on and on. We spent a lot of time in Isaiah 53 over the last month. Isaiah 53 speaks of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. It talks about his burial. It talks about his resurrection. You can read all of the Old Testament scripture and all of it, as Jesus says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, points to him and gives us understanding. You ever had one of those moments where you're reading the word of God and you're like, oh, Thank you, Lord. I have so wondered about that bronze serpent for years. 
I had no idea that Jesus spoke of it. How come no one ever told me about that? And you praise the Lord because the Holy Spirit opened your eyes. But all Scripture points to Jesus. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. It says in verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus has come to give us understanding of the truth of God that we would be saved and have eternal life. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. The, the Apostle Paul writes to a young man, Timothy. And not only does he tell him to preach the word, but he speaks clearly to him about Scripture, about the Word of God. And it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from, listen to this, verse 15, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What are the sacred writings? It's the Gentile description for the Old Testament. Moses, the law, and the prophets. And he says there, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which, listen, which are able to make you wise for what? Salvation through who? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, verse 16. For those of you who doubt the word of God, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. One of the ways that we trust in our Lord God is to trust in his word. And I would encourage you with this. There are many tools, resources, devotionals, commentaries written by man for us to have a greater understanding of scripture in some ways. And there's some wonderful things that are written. And there's some other things which are just trash. And all they do is distract you from the truth of God's word. And they place lies in your heart. That is why, church, please be a student of the word of God before you read any other author. Be a person who loves the truth of God's word before you read any other author. Yes, there are so many resources, and if you need help with resources, come talk to me. I'll point you towards things which line up with Scripture, but don't put your trust and hope in man. Put it in the Word of God. And so Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, points to the truth of Jesus Christ. You can read 2 Peter chapter 1. We've gone to there a number of times which says we have everything we need for life and godliness found in the word of God. 
If you want to live a godly life, if you want to walk in holiness, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, walk in wisdom, walk in this, walk in this way, then read the Word of God. That's what's going to give you the guidance by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out. Pray, Holy Spirit, fill me up today. Help me have understanding. Move me in a powerful way to walk in your manner worthy of you. Well, let's look back at the text here and look at the last statement in verses 28 through 35. Did not our hearts burn within us? They're traveling. Again, we don't know how long. We don't know how long this wonderful Bible study has been. And they come to the point where they're to their home. They're like, Jesus. They're like, they show them hospitality. Don't, hey, it's, it's evening. You need to have a meal. Come in, stay with us. And so he comes in to eat with them in verses 28 through 30. And as they have this meal, he breaks this bread. And it says in verse 31, and their eyes were what? Eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. We start with the fact that it was withheld from them to recognize, and now their eyes were opened. That was something that God did in that moment. Was it the nail-scarred hands as he breaks it? Was it the fact that just the things that he had taught bring this light, this truth, and they say our hearts were warmed? Whatever it is, God opens their eyes, and they see Jesus, and then he vanishes from them, the resurrected Jesus. They saw him. Their hope that they thought that they lost they just regained it because they see Jesus before them. And they're like, he had been with us the whole time. And we totally were blinded to it. And here's the truth that we know from God's word. All of mankind is blinded. You are blinded in your sins when you're born into this world because that's your nature. You do not see God. You do not see Jesus. And therefore, it takes a work of God to open your eyes that you would see Jesus. And so, do not believe the lie. Oh, I just recognized one day. I opened my eyes and I believed in Jesus. No, you did not. It's clear from John chapter 3. Everyone read John chapter 3 this week. Will you read John chapter 3? What were you going to read this week? John chapter 3. Don't just get stuck on John 3.16. Read the whole chapter. Because you must be born again. And Jesus explains, you can't do it. You can't regenerate your heart. You can't just go, you know what? I've read through the Old Testament, and now I, oh, I'm just convinced of this. No, you may be convinced of it, but it's because the Holy Spirit regenerated your heart. You hear and see the gospel of Jesus. You go, wow, I am a sinner. I need you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. That's how Scripture lays out salvation happens in the life of all believers. The resurrected Jesus, their eyes were open. They saw the truth and what he explained about Moses, the law and the prophets. And I'd say this, understand and know you are called and commissioned by God as a follower of Christ to go declare the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died on a cross in our place for our sins according to Scripture, and He rose the third day according to Scripture, and by faith in Him, He, gives us, he forgives us and He saves us. You are called and commissioned 
to share the gospel. Not to just bring someone to church so they can hear a preacher preach the gospel. You, as a believer, are called to do that. But you must know that just the preaching of the gospel will not save that person. It takes a work of God, the Holy Spirit, to open their eyes that they would understand what you declare and all the glory goes to God and none to us. Because if we ever dare say, I did this and then God had to save me, we are completely wrong and that's not grace. That is works. I was reading this week about an ordained Anglican priest grew up in a Christian home. There was a fire in his home when he was a kid. Crazy story. And he was saved from it. He attended seminary. was a missionary. Practiced spiritual disciplines. He, he prayed. He fasted. He spent hours and hours of Bible study. He was a... What's the name of that group? He led a group of men called, a, called the Holy Club. You're like, this guy's got it in line. They read the word of God. They want to walk in holiness. And his first two years of ministry were just unsuccessful. Were just utterly unsuccessful. And so I looked up this journal entry this week that he wrote. Not only does he have no peace in life, but on May 24th, 1738, here's what he writes in his journal. In the evening, I went very unwillingly how many people go to church unwillingly at times and God does something? It says, In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. A guy named John Wesley. Someone who would be like, oh, he's a pastor. He's a missionary. He's been telling people about God. And what? He becomes a Christian after he's a pastor? Yes. There are so many people in this world who said and thought they were a Christian because they went to church. They went on mission trips. They gave half of everything they owned to the church. And it wasn't until a point that one day someone preached the gospel. They read the word. And I, again, here it's like Romans, like my other friend uh, reading Romans 3. Here it was Romans 5. Is this thing within God opens their eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit and they believe. You can't make this stuff up. All of your stories, if you're a follower of Christ and you share with someone else, there's all these different types of stories and backgrounds and people that God brings in by his providence. But the one thing that is common with every single believer and follower of Jesus Christ, his chosen people, his saints, his church, is that God saved them from their sins. He opened their eyes to the good news of Jesus Christ, and he gets all the glory, and we are adopted in his kingdom. We're given the inheritance of Jesus Christ forever. And so if we have struggled with this stuff, one day we'll understand completely. So in the meantime, just praise God for the salvation that he grants you and give glory to him. Verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us? Just like John Wesley described. It says, while we walked on the road and he opened the scriptures. Has your heart been warmed by the word of God? I pray it has been. 
I pray actually your heart's not only warmed, but just set on fire. Their hearts were warmed by the word of God as Jesus opens the scripture. Maybe some of us need to ask the question, what's the temperature of my heart today? Is my heart being warmed by the word of God daily? Is it just something that I look forward to on Sunday? Is it just an emotional thing that you wait for? Or is it something where God is warming your heart daily to the truth of his word? Again, you could study the word of God all of your life and without the power of the Holy Spirit giving you understanding you'd never believe. And some of you know people like that. I can think of a couple atheists right now who are possibly better scholars of the word of God than some of us. And yet they do not believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And they're atheists. And we know that God reveals himself and works in mankind. We know that. But they reject Jesus Christ and they're students of the word of God. Therefore, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look at the last three verses as we bring this to a close, they, they get up. We got to go back and tell the apostles, we just saw Jesus Christ. And so they journey seven miles back. How many of us in the middle of the evening would then just go like, we just walked seven miles. I am tired out. It's been a long weekend. Jesus died. And they're like, we're going back. And so they go back and find the apostles in verse 34. The apostles say to them, hey, Jesus is risen. He's alive. Simon Peter saw him today. And in verse 35, then they say, hey, that's awesome. Here's our story. And here's what Jesus has done and how he revealed himself. But as I read that, and I know that we've got a few more verses we'll look at next week to bring the gospel according to Luke to a close, the story doesn't end there. We'll read next week of the ascension of Jesus Christ, his revealing himself to the disciples and his interaction with them. But also know this, Jesus Christ has promised that he will return in all of his glory one day. All of his people will go with him to the place that he has prepared for them because he's adopted them as his own, his own children. And for all who reject the truth of God's word, they will die in their sins, and the wrath of God will be upon them for all eternity in hell. And that is where they will spend eternity. If you're not a follower of Christ, and today the Holy Spirit has been stirring your heart, and the Word of God is warming your heart in this moment, I could say, pray this, pray this, and pray this, and it may not be what you're supposed to pray according to the Word of God. We know, Romans 10, You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that Christ is alive. He has risen from death to life and you'll be saved. It says in John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Some of you search the scriptures but you refuse to come to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Believe in him because in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it's declared and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Turn to Jesus. Jesus always calls for a response, and his response is that it always is believe in me.
John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I pray that you turn to Jesus. As the worship team comes forward, my prayer for every single believer in this room, including myself, comes from what I read in Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah was told repeatedly to declare God's word, and it was a very much of a challenge for him, to the point that not only ridicule and all kinds of stuff going on against him, but the point of like, I, I, I can't, I'm not going to say anything anymore about God. And yet he writes in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Father, I pray for every believer in this room right now at this moment that your word would be a burning fire in their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you give them understanding? Would you give them comfort? Would you give them peace? Would you give them joy of the assurance they have in you, Jesus Christ? And would you stir their hearts with such great affection for your truth and a love for your word that they cannot hold it in, that they cannot go outside without speaking of the truths that you have given us and declared in your word. So Holy Spirit, fill us, move us, open our mouths to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, all who have come to this place that are far from you, that have heard the gospel today and have had their hearts warmed by you, open their eyes to the news of Jesus Christ and give them the faith to believe. Father, be glorified as we sing our praises to you in Jesus' name. Amen.